If you're struggling to get hold of straw for the horses and paying more for what you can get hold of, we'll find out why. Well, I mean, of course, we've got the straw-fired power stations now. There's four in the East Anglian region and they use such a large tonnage. And we can't turn water into wine, but maybe manure into fuel. The lorries are burning that biofuel and just emitting steam. So there's a huge cost saving there, the benefit on the carbon output. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you're well, hope you've had a good week. I'm Steve Orchard. Let's start with a look at the farming headlines. After last week's hopeful vote by the Lords in favour of an amendment to the Agriculture Bill that would make it a legal requirement for future food imports to match UK standards, the government, in the form of DEFRA Farm Minister Victoria Prentice, has confirmed it has no intention of accepting any amendments to the bill when it returns to the Commons. One step forward. Next Monday, the 19th, is the closing date for the Midlands Agricultural Engineering Apprentice Awards for 2020, with £500 up for grabs for 17 to 25-year-olds embarking on their careers. It's the fourth such awards, with 30 young apprentices having been supported by the scheme so far. More details are available online at chalk2fork.org. There'll be a special awards ceremony, subject to COVID, at Newark Showgrounds in November. And the future of AHDB horticulture could be decided in a simple yes or no vote, the levy boards confirmed. The vote will be for or against abolishing the statutory levy and it's expected to take place in January. Now let's talk manure. No jokes, please. Grass goes in one end, manure comes out the other, it goes back on the field and the circle goes on. But could there be a new use for this farming byproduct? Ian Barker is a farmer involved in a trial with Arla to harness the power of the cow's effluent and turn it into lorry fuel. Morning, Ian. How does it all work? Well, good morning. Um, yes, we were invited to take part in this trial. Um, what happens on farm is that uh, we collect all our slurry in a slurry lagoon about the size of an Olympic swimming pool. And Arla's uh, anaerobic digester contractors that run that coming down to the farm twice a week and uh, sucking out the manure, taking it back to the anaerobic digester plant with which they process it and in the process extract all the methane from it and then that methane is then used as a biofuel to run a couple of their lorries in in, in the three-month trial period. The um, end product from that anaerobic digester is called digestate, which they then bring back to my farm and they will spread on the land um, in, the, in, the, in spring and summer months. That digester is a very useful fertiliser. And that fertiliser is almost better than the real thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's been processed and pasteurised, so I've got a better quality product. That product is spread on the land by using um, up-to-date machinery, so that's saving us time emptying the slurry pit ourselves in man hours, and also it's saving a considerable amount of bought-in fertiliser, which then goes down the line of improving my individual carbon footprint immensely. Yeah, this has quite a, a benefit in terms of removing CO2 from the air, doesn't it? Absolutely. The methane that would be produced would naturally evaporate in the slurry spreading process. That methane is actually being harvested at the anaerobic digester plant, Um, And that's what they're after for the biofuel and the lorries are are burning that biofuel and just emitting steam. So there's a huge cost saving there, the benefit on the carbon carbon output. How many cows are actually taking part uh, in the trial and how much are they likely to produce? 
This trial has got 500 cows, myself and a near neighbour, and um, they're expecting 27,000 kilos of biofuel out of this uh, project. Is this still efficient to do this? It's got to be collected, it's got to be transported, put through the anaerobic digester and so on. But it's still efficient to, to do that, is it, and produce the yes. fuel in this way? Yeah, I'm hoping, we're hoping the trial will show this, but um, on this trial alone, with the two vehicles involved, the uh, car- carbon footprint of those two vehicles is reduced by 80 tonnes alone. So that's a, that's a great start. Um, the vehicles are efficient, and um, this is this, this is what the trial's here for, to see if it can stack up to go out at large scale. And this is being used on Arla's, a couple of Arla's trucks at the moment. Is it likely yes. that we'll see petrol stations with uh, cow manure-produced biofuel at some stage? I don't see why not. The, the signs so far are very promising, so, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. And this is a three-month trial, which has then yep. got to be analysed and so on. So it'd be interesting yep, to uh, revisit this in a few months' time and see what the results were. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very confident. I'm privileged to be involved with it. I'm, it's exciting. So fingers crossed it will work. Lovely. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme, Ian. Thank you. Straw has been in the news over the last few weeks. Stories of shortages, increased prices, not enough for the horses. Andy Baxter is a straw contractor. Andy, what's the situation? Prices have jumped a little bit in the last 10 days. Um, Nobody could really understand why all the way through the summer they were at uh, a normal summertime sort of price. And it was very strange because people were looking around, anticipating a potential shortage and yet uh, there wasn't a great lot of movement in the summer, and the uh, prices were pretty stagnant. But uh, there certainly has been a, a, a bit of a jump, and uh, prices been talked up in the last 10 days, I would suggest. And is there generally a shortage? I'm, I'm hearing from people who look after horses saying they're struggling. Uh, well, for ourself, in the, in the sort of Sleaford catchment area where we uh, operate, we were around about 45% uh, uh, down on bail numbers, uh, but there is also to remember uh, a reasonable stock of old stuff left from last year. And it's, it's, I guess it's a bit of a volatile market as well, isn't it? Well, I mean, of course, we've got the straw-fired power stations now. There's four in the East Anglian region, and they use such a large tonnage coupled up with the uh, carrot users as well as uh, all the livestock farmers. You know, there's, there's quite a big marketplace out there for people requiring the straw and uh, it is uh, it is going to be an all year round requirement for some of those people so it's just a real case of uh, finding out what's what throughout the industry and as I say there's some stocks left over from last year but then uh, figures were so much down this summer it's uh, it's going to be a real case of probably what happens with the weather over the next few months really and are there any if, if somebody's using a lot of straw are there any alternatives they can use certainly on the livestock side people using uh, uh, rubber pellets dried sand various types of matting so there are different types of uh, materials out there that they can use but straw for a lot of people is still the preferred choice is this just a lincolnshire thing or is it generally across the country certainly down the uh, certainly down the east anglian region and um, because that's uh, where the straw fired power stations are as well so they're out to um, trying to uh, get involved in the marketplace and buy up what they can. So, uh, you know, every 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 extra tonne they're fighting for is uh, making it more difficult for other users, sort of, of the livestock sector, 
and the equestrian and don't forget the poultry uh, industry use quite a lot of chopped straw throughout some of the uh, broiler breeding activities. Andy Lovely, thanks for joining us on the farming programme. No problem at all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now to agronomy and an old mate of Andy's. Morning, Sean. Yes, a very good morning to you, Steve. Good to hear Andy Baxter there, or Slim Baxter. I've known Slim for over 40 years. We used to go out in Sleaford on a Friday and a Saturday night with there was Slim and his brothers Steve and Aidy and Den and Trev Winter and Steve Markham and Westy and happy days at the Nags Head in Sleaford. But anyway, look, I digress. Um, good to hear that the straw is going to go to livestock farmers who really are in dire straits with regard to bedding and winter feed. Um, And I think anybody who burns straw in a year like this in a power station, it's not just immoral. I think it's reprehensible. And we really should make sure that livestock farmers are prioritised with the straw. There should be a law to make sure that that happened. So we've had another damp week then. Well over 38 millimetres of rain for me at home, but it is still early October. It does rain in October. The black grass is flushing like the Serengeti after a storm. It would have been a mistake to drill those fields where it's flush. So it is a blessing in disguise that it's come wet. We might as well look at it as a blessing because there's nothing we can do about the weather. Vital once we do start drilling again to get those pre-emergence herbicides on quickly within three or four days before the black grass germinates. Once you put the drill through, there's that flash of UV light which will trigger the black grass to start growing. And multiple actives in stacks is what's going to give you the best chance of success. Against a weed which has really changed, it's evolved into a different animal to the one it was 10 years ago. It germinates from different depth. It germinates more quickly. There are more seeds to a blackgrass plant so it really is important we are in front of blackgrass and it is not in front of us it looks like the weather's going to improve now so use this opportunity to get the glyphosate on and take advantage of this flush of blackgrass that's happened over the last week and will inevitably continue throughout this coming seven to ten days before asking your agronomist where he hid the keys to the drill tractor Get your seed in 40 mil deep and well covered. It's selectivity by depth protection with a lot of these herbicides. You don't want to be contacting the seed itself. And you're aiming for 225 to 250 seeds per square metre at the moment. If you're using old seed, by the way, from last year, you need to get the germination checked because it's varying between 0% and 99%. So for goodness sake, get it tested or at least get a tabloid newspaper, soak it in water, put 100 seeds in the centre pages, close it up, put it on a bit of polythene in a warm, dark place for 48 hours and then have a look and count the numbers of seeds which have chitted. Very basic, but it's far better to do that than just assume it's okay and you ending up being one with one of those 0% germination. Vigor is also a potential issue in seed which has been dressed and left in a shed for over a year. Insecticides were really, really bad for compromising germination in year-old seed, but fungicides can be similarly bad too, particularly if that seed's been somewhere where it's managed to get damp, so please get it checked. Now, as well as black grass flushing out in the field, an awful lot of barley volunteers coming up. Some of it's coming up in wheat, which was panic-drilled a couple of weeks ago. In field, that were drilled before a flush after harvest was dealt with with glyphosate whether that be winter wheat or winter barley the combining losses this year were massive so there's no surprise that there's a lot of volunteer barley out there but it's very difficult to deal with it's impossible to deal with in winter barley if you get spring barley volunteers in winter wheat topic sometimes cladinophoc propargyl in the spring can do a job if you were spraying a winter 
wheat field and drifted onto barley, I guarantee you'll take every plant out of that field. If you're trying to control it, you'll struggle. So please manage your expectations. It is going to be complicated. Broadway Star as well is another one that has some effect on barley, sometimes, not always. But anything you use in the spring, like Broadway or anything else, can have implications for other herbicide treatments. So do plan ahead and speak to your agronomist. But getting that pre-em on your drilled winter wheat, winter barley, within three days of drilling is vital. If you miss it, please talk to your advisor before you go chucking those stacks of herbicides onto emerging and tender crop, particularly if there are frosts about. So for example, if you get the first frost of the season on the Monday night, if there's no frost on the Tuesday night, you could go uh, spraying on the Wednesday. But then after that, you would need to stop by about 3.30, 4 o'clock if there was a frost forecast. But just be aware of leaving that 24 hours for the wax level to recover from that first frost. And that is very, very important. Oilseed rape slugs now moving, as has cabbage stem flea beetle activity increased over the last few days. But disease level still very, very low. I did see the first hint of a bit of foma in a field the other day. So the fact that disease levels remain low, every cloud has a silver lining. But black grass is appearing all over oilseed rape fields. Now, remember clethodim, you can put that on centurion max you can put that on but it needs to be 14 days clear of other herbicides there can be some crop effects so avoid overlaps if you can possibly do that shepherd's purse cranesbill mayweed chickweed there's an awful lot of broadleaf weeds starting to come as well but where uh, herbicide like belcar has been applied it's actually doing a cracking job of the shepherd's purse cranesbill mayweed and other broadleaf weeds but i expect that within the next 14 days there will be somebody talking about sticking curb on to all seed rape if that's your plan get Get a grip. You are absolutely crackers if you're considering curb this early in the season. Also, winter rye, there are people putting a lot of rye in this year. We haven't had a lot of rye before. There's a lot going in. Pendomethylin, diflufenican, you can use those post-emergence, but watch the timing. DFF, for example, you have to go on before the three-leaf stage of the crop. Yeah, it's quite interesting out there. Do be aware of the frosts if they happen. And I think you've had your fun, Steve, with the weather. If we could have Ellie Codling back next week, we could do with a week of Ellie Codling weather. Um, let's see what the next seven days bring. Well, I can't promise you Ellie until possibly next February when I'm next on holiday, but I'll see if she can send some of her weather. Thanks as ever to Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, back with some more timely agronomy advice next Sunday. Now, we haven't had a potato update for a few weeks, so Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes is on the line. Morning, Colin. Yeah, hi, Steve. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good, good. So what's the latest on the potato front? Well, um, no inspiration here, I'm afraid, is I suppose the way to look at it. Um, it's, it's plodding along the potato trade at the moment. Uh, demand is not brisk anywhere. Um, frying trade, as you can expect, um, the chip shops are not still not back up to sort of full speed. So most people are suggesting that the trade is sort of going on at sort of 75, 80% of where it should be. Um, which is creating a bit of a backlog. Um, movement isn't as fast as we would anticipate at this time of year, so um, it's just keeping things under pressure. And it looks like with talk of uh, certainly Nottinghamshire being placed under greater restrictions and with restaurants and things like that, uh, it doesn't look like it's getting a huge deal better in any short order, does it? No, it doesn't. And of course, that is sort of one of the areas that we would tend to supply our potatoes to into the sort of, you know, into the Midlands and Nottinghamshire, Sheffield, those kinds of areas that are getting affected more and more at the moment. So, um, so yeah, not a lot of light on the horizon. 
and how's sort of quality and quantity coming out of the ground? Yeah, everything's coming out relatively well. I mean, obviously, we've just seen sort of rain just recently, which has made uh, harvesting conditions difficult. But up until that point, um, some people even having to irrigate to get out to um, because the ground conditions were actually too hard. Um, so yet to be seen, still quite a lot of potatoes left to come out of the ground, um, particularly some of these later frying varieties. So uh, obviously, if we see a similar scenario to last year, you know, when potatoes actually became very, very difficult and, and the, the trade, the prices actually went up sort of through October last year. And that was due to the, the difficult harvest, harvesting conditions. So that, that's what we've really got to watch for now. And how are prices? They are under a bit of pressure. However, because there's still a lot of the crop left in the ground at the moment, growers are not willing to let the prices slide any further. So, so prices are actually maintaining anywhere really from about £80 in papers um, up to sort of £150, £160 for, for good quality gear. Um, so prices are, are not they're not as bad as potentially they could have been um they're sort of they're not brilliant prices for uh, returns to growers um however just at the moment as i say in, until everything's out of the ground i think it'll stay in that kind of region lovely colin thanks ever so much for joining us once again no problem thank you a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the earth rover project aiming to improve farm productivity reduce waste and boost the bottom line i spoke to james brown from polybell farms and david whitewood earth rovers ceo two other people have significant input into the project and one is agronomist carolyn cox and from the university of lincoln simon pearson And in a year when the weather has had more than its fair share of the headlines and caused havoc with planning, I wanted briefly to touch on the part played by VegCast in crop prediction. Simon, tell us more. That's really taking the data sources from Earth Rover, so the imagery data from the cameras, uh, which is measuring head size of broccoli. Then you're trying to then forecast when that crop's going to mature and how many crates James is going to have to sell. Uh, Really not from one week ahead, but two, three, four, five, six weeks ahead through the season. To do that forecast, you then got to link that data to the weather forecasting system from the Met Office, and that's really VegCast. So we're linking Earth Rover data, agronomy information about how these, uh, these crops are growing, with medium-term weather data. And then building on uh, VegCast, uh, we're working with medium-range forecasting, and then we're also one of our meteorologists at Lincoln, Ed Hanna. So one of the things he's looking at is, is the impact of long-term weather forecasting on, on agriculture. So can we help farmers improve their decision support by better know-how of long-term weather forecasts? Carolyn, will this help the grower get their product to the retailer at the right time and in the right quantities? Yeah, so it's just to look at targeting harvesting and uh, increases of information flow from the field as well. So we know how many heads are coming up for harvesting and how big they are. The forecasting of availability as well. So they're looking at when the crop was planted to when it's due to be harvested so we can communicate that with customers and look at potentially running promotions or um, anything like that. Simon, it's a very interesting project. What else is the University of Lincoln working on at the moment? Well, we're absolutely inundated on anything to do with robotics. So we're working, as you know, on soft fruit harvesting robotics um, at at, at PACE, lubricant harvesting robotics, lots of uh, issues around uh, access to migrant labour, so so lots of uh, interesting crop harvesting robotics. We'll be moving quite soon into phenotyping robotics, so robots to help plant breeding. That program will start. Uh, through this uh, winter and then we're moving into robots to measure uh, environmental parameters around crops so crop carbon flux 
crop carbon sequestration, soil quality, soil physics. So that's the next generation. So we've been very active on selective harvesting because that's really been a big priority demand for the industry. And then we're broadening out in the next uh, few months and phenotyping and then uh, robots to wander around the environment and, uh, and, and help uh, particularly arable crop systems. Fascinating. Thanks to Carolyn and Simon. We'll look at some other new farm tech in a couple of weeks on the farming programme. Now let's take a look at the markets. Kit's on holiday, so from Open Field, here's Jerome Fielder. Good morning. Good morning. It's been a positive week on the grain markets for most crops. Wheat markets were firmer due to weather issues globally. Allseed rate markets found support from DEFRA's production figure of just 1.07 million metric tonnes although markets remain nervous of the potential demand reduction which could occur from COVID-19's second wave. Barley prices haven't altered much, though, as prices are driven by export demand. Looking more closely at the wheat market, many growers have been itching to drill and the recent rain has only heightened anxiety levels with last year's torrential rain in the forefront of growers' minds. The new crop values have been supported over the last week, with November 21 now trading at circa £157 for the latter part of the week, resulting in ex-farm levels above £150. Now turning focus to old crop, DEFRA reported a UK crop estimate of 10.133 million metric tonnes, which is down 37.5% on last year's figure. This wasn't a surprise, and many in the Midlands will feel that the wheat crop is smaller than this. Weather issues in major exporting countries gave support to values as Chicago wheat futures made seven-year highs on nearby contracts. Ukrainian and Russian domestic prices are also at record highs. The Russian government will set wheat quotas this week for the Jan-June movement period. It's expected that these quotas may not be as high as previously expected, given the current dry weather we experienced in the region. Add to this the La Nina weather story in South America, adversely impacting crops, and dryness in the US and Australia, plus a deluge of rain in Western Europe. It's fair to say markets have found some support. Do bear in mind on the Liffey futures that November 20 has been trading at a premium to May 21 for most of last week. But November 20 trading is largely technical, with it soon to drop off the board. Therefore, the May 21 price is a better indication to the physical price of wheat. Turning our focus to barley markets, they have remained relatively static as currency fluctuations move values up or down a pound or two. There has been further export demand with vessels now being looked at for December movement. Indicative values are £133 to £135 ex-farm on feed barley for October movement. Malting premiums are unlikely to lift in the ever more likely event of the hospitality sector shutting down, again resulting in reduced demand for beer. New crop values on feed barley are worth looking at, with values just slightly less than this year, with the prospect of a larger wheat crop reducing domestic feed barley demand. Allseed rape was the big winner in terms of price gains, as values recovered back to £350 ex-farm pre-Christmas. The rise in values no doubt supported by DEFRA's production figure and dry weather abroad in Russia, Ukraine and North and South America. Lack of planting progress in South America of soybeans has further supported the US markets, which are supplying China's demand. 
Do bear in mind how COVID-19's second wave could affect the whole oil complex, as demand could reduce if further lockdown restrictions are imposed, reducing biodiesel demand. Pulse markets are relatively unchanged, with a focus on nearby movement to load vessels. Now for your ex-farm values. Feed wheat for November movement is 180 to 182 pounds ex farm with May movement at 183 to 185 pounds. New crop values for November 150 to 152 pounds ex farm. Feed barley values for November 133 to 135 pounds with values for May 135 to 137 pounds. New crop values for November 130 to 133 pounds ex farm. All seed rate prices are £350 ex-farm for December, with no carry past that in the market. Bean values are trading at £200 to £204 ex-farm for spot movement. For any ex-farm values, please contact your local Openfield farm business manager. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jerome Fielder from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's looking like a typical autumn week, a mixture of pretty much everything, some rain, some sun and some single-figure temperatures. Today's mostly dry with some sun, high pressures, winds from the northwest and highs of around 12 degrees. Monday sees the pressure pretty much back to normal. Winds light and variable, a cold, cloudy, rainy day tomorrow with temperatures just creeping into double figures. Tuesday's breezy and chilly, winds from the north up to 20 miles per hour, maybe 4 mil of rain, highs around 11, similar for the rest of the week, with the wind turning easterly by the end of the week, some rain each day, but mostly dry on Friday. Overnight lows down to 5 Celsius on Tuesday. Next week, we'll meet up with the young farmers and get an update on the sugar beet campaign. In the meantime, stay safe, stay positive, and have a good farming week.